Mass. Um, I should research this, but oftentimes in the past, a Catholic church in the country would also be considered Rome's um, or the Vatican's embassy in there. So it's not just look at it's a religious church, so to speak, but also a political extension or arm of the Catholic Church. So their view is that the church is universal and visible only in the form of the Roman Catholic Church. That salvation only comes through the Roman Catholic um, Church. And um, Protestant view is that it is universal and invisible. That there is not necessarily a visible church, so to say. Um, there, may be, um, there may be still like local congregations, but that it's basically invisible. Okay, that, that it's those that are in Christ, um, that are saved, um, if they are saved. Many of them believe that salvation is through baptism, which the Bible does not teach. But they have a universal and invisible um, view. And Baptists have a local and visible view. And there is also a sense where um, it is universal. Um, I don't prefer the term universal, but it doesn't mean the term universal is wrong. Um, but th that would be that the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, as it is seen in heaven, is one body. That, okay, us here and other believers somewhere else are part of the church, the body of Christ. I don't use the term universal just because of, in Christ, that is the local assembly. That is local. And you know, the Bible talks about how our citizenship is already in heaven. But that's more of semantics. You know, so usually people will still call it the, it's the universal body of Christ, mean all believers. And we believe that. Okay, If someone's part of another church, regardless of the church, if they're saved, if they're born again, they're part of the bride of Christ, they're part of the body of Christ. The church universal, as some people would call it, um, I just, again, as I say, I view it as still in assembly, citizenship in heaven, um, that one day when we're all there, that's going to be a local assembly and stuff. But the emphasis Baptists usually have is that it's local churches, that on earth, where there's to be local manifestations of that general assembly in heaven, that we're a local manifestation and that we're visible. That if someone was to drive by and walk in and see us, they see a visible body. They see a visible assembly. Okay? If I'm just out fishing, okay, that is not church. Okay? Just because I have a family member with me, that does not make church. Okay? A church is a called out assembly. A called out purpose. Now, sure, we could have a church meeting. We could go, hey, you know what, let's go fishing, and then let's have a church, have church service there. Anyone vote to do that next Sunday? Anybody want to go fishing as part of a church activity? Again, but so anyways, the assembly is a local body of believers, and it is um, visible. Now, Catholics and Protestants and other groups usually define church as a denomination or as a collection of all denominations. Okay, but you take an automobile, for example. Okay, what is an automobile? It is the local assembly of car parts. Okay, local assembly of car parts. You don't have parts that are invisible. 
Okay. I guess you do now. You do have Bluetooth sometimes. Oh, you have Bluetooth car. I guess you can't see that. <laughs> but you don't have parts that are invisible, nor do you have them universal all over the world. Okay. You don't have the transmission here and then have um, the clutch in another place. Um, then it is not an automobile yet. It's car parts, but it is not assembled together. It is not assembled together. Baptists reason that an assembly is not an assembly unless it what? Assembles. Okay? If a church is a called out assembly, well, it's not a church, so to speak, unless that assembly assembles together. If it assembles, it must be visible, not invisible. If it is a visible assembly, it must be local. If it is Christ's assembly, then it consists of those who are saved, baptized followers of Christ, assembling at a local place and time. Now, each local church, that's a biblical church, New Testament church, is fully Christ's New Testament church. We, and so in the generic sense, we are not just part of his church. We are his church. We are a local assembly of his church um, of his church universal, so to say, um, of all believers that are in heaven. But here we have a local assembly. Okay? There is not some other governing figure outside of this church dictating the will of this church. Um, the um, church is used in three ways um, that, that I could think of. Maybe you could think of some others, but from what I've been um, studying, there's a specific usage, over a hundred uses of the word ecclesia, church assembly, are specific references to local assemblies. There's an abstract um, usage um, where Christ declares he will build his church. Okay, in that sense, he is not speaking of I'm just going to build this one local church in Napa Vine but in a universal sense that he will be all over the world, he will be building his church, that he will be building his body of believers. So there's some abstract usage. There's also a generic usage, which is pretty similar to abstract um, usage, but kind of used in a generic sense, where we see in Matthew 18, 17, where unresolved disputes are to be taken to the church. So an individual goes to the individual first. Okay, an individual is not supposed to go to church first. Okay, That's more becomes gossip and slander. But a person, if there's a dispute, they're supposed to go and work that matter out. Try to work it out. And then if you have, you've gained thy brother, you've gained thy sister. If that still hasn't worked out, then you're supposed to go to another one and, and uh, have another one come with you. Try to try, get it worked out. Um, and if that still doesn't work out, then in the context of a local church, you know what? Um, we'll go ahead and turn there. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 18. I thought I had that scripture on here, but I didn't. Matthew 18, verse um, 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. 
But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So then that could be like a mediator, you know, it kind of see like, okay, what's, what's kind of um, going on? Because sometimes when it's just one person and one p- person, then like they both have their both different set of facts, so to speak. And, but it goes, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. And so unwilling to work it out or there's just no resolution, then let them be a heathen. You know what? They're, 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 there's no more resolution possible until there is repentance. But so here Jesus is used in a, in a generic sense. He's not speaking to any one specific local church but really to all local church in a generic sense. That, okay, if there's a dispute at Napavine going on, okay, we don't go and involve necessarily another church, okay? It's this thing we got to deal with our church. Now, there can be places, times, where involvement of another church does happen, and we'll actually talk about that um, a little bit later in the message. But we see, like, say, when one was planning a church, and you know what, there were some false teachers coming from the sending church that there were things they had to um, get fits and worked out. Um, uh, another example would be of husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Okay, speaking of the church in the generic, or you could say in the universal um, sense. And so in the specific, in all but four times, Acts 7, 38, and verse 39 and 41, the specific use designates a particular assembly of Jesus Christ on earth or to his general assembly that will gather in glory. And so the abstract usage, again, where Christ declares he will build his church, is kind of like the idea of a jury as an institution or a school as an institution. In each case, these abstract uses find concrete examples in a particular local visible entity. The institution of the jury finds its expression in a local and visible jury. The institution of the school finds expression in a local and visible school. And so it's an abstract usage where Christ says, I will build my church, but it's manifested in the context also of local assemblies. We see in Revelation that when the chur- churches were mentioned, it says the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at Pergamum, um, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, that these were local assemblies called out once, called out congregations in specific local places. And so they were literal churches in Revelation. Now, some will spiritualize that to say that these are ages of time, but that is not the exact interpretation of Scripture. The, church, the Bible was talking about specific churches. Now, we may see in a generic sense, we may see how a different church maybe could kind of be like, you could draw examples of, say, the Laodicean church with today's age. But you could draw examples of the Laodicean church in the 5th century as well. And so really, with all seven of these types of churches, we could see 
application in different churches today, but the interpretation of what is being written about in Revelation is Jesus was speaking to the angel of the seven churches, which the six in Bible say too, I believe the angel was talking about the pastor, you know what, the, the messenger, that's what the word angel means, is messenger, and the angels of God did not need to be rebuked for sin, but the pastors and the churches did need to be confronted on the ones that needed that confrontation. But we see the church is spoken of in local assemblies, not in a universal Catholic sense of the Vatican being one church, or even say like the Southern Baptist Church being a denomination. You know, we don't find denominations in the Bible as far as having headship or control over another. An explanation, okay, we are Baptists in our identity, in our um, doctrinal beliefs as we follow the Bible, but being Baptists, we are not part of any denomination. We're not part of the Southern Baptist Convention. We're not even part of an independent Baptist Convention. We're an independent, local, autonomous church. And so when a denomination goes liberal, that doesn't mean we have to go liberal with them or have to separate. We're already distinct. Now, we could cooperate with other churches. You know, we could get involved. We could do an event together. We probably should. You know, there's a couple of churches, Haywood and Charlie. We could do an event together and stuff like that. And or even just as Christians, you could be involved in different missions. You could be involved in, say, the Lewis County Gospel Mission. You know, getting involved in helping, serving in a particular cause. Now, that's not in particular a local church, but you're gathering, you're helping minister with others, um, Christians. And now Acts 8.1. The church, there is the church mentioned in Jerusalem, Galatia. And Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, Thessalonians, the church of the Thessalonians. Um, Philemon 2, the church in thy house. You know what? Churches can meet in a home. Oftentimes they did in Bible. And you know, I just w- went to someone's home. They have church in their home. And it's a little bit, it's not just they're just staying home. But they, they have an assembly of other believers and I asked them kind of about the pros and cons of the home church movement is their part of. And you know what their challenges are. I thought basically what they simply do is they gather together and everyone just gives their opinion on what God spoke to them about from the Bible. Now there's nothing wrong with doing that um, on occasion or doing that. Sometimes we'll do that in our Bible study. But we see in, in, the, in, the, in the church in the Bible there was more of an order. There was, um, sometimes they would have more than one preacher. Um, you know, I would love for us to have more preachers in this church as well. But we see that they would speak by course, not all three or however many at the same time, but one would speak and then another one would speak. But it was actually prepared. They were um, preaching the word of God. It wasn't just a discussion of, to me, this verse means this. And if someone else says, to me, that verse means that. That's not preaching. That's just talking about the Bible, so to speak. The New Testament um, concept held by Baptists is that in contrast to Catholics, Protestants, and modern cults who view the church as a collection of churches. These other types of churches often liken their denomination to a corporation headquarters with the individual churches as franchises of the denomination. Baptists view that each individual local visible Baptist church is truly 100% a New Testament church, not a branch or franchise. 
Okay, scriptural usage of church rejects the denominational concept. The overwhelming usage of church is of specific, local, and autonomous churches. Never used in the sense of several congregations organized together as modern denominations are. Um, Baptists believe that each local church is complete in itself, self-governing, and answerable directly to Christ, not a denominational hierarchy, synod, or denomination bureaucracy. And uh, some of you taking pictures. I could also send you a copy of this, too, if you just want the whole thing in full. Or you could just take pictures of particular parts, too. But, um, so we reject the denominational concept. And, and so like, we're not like, so, okay, there's the Catholic Church, the Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church, okay? It's not like a, they're the Baptist Church. Okay? We are a Baptist Church, okay, in, distinctively in our doctrine, but it's not like we're part, again, of a denominational bureaucracy or hierarchy or synod. And so, go on. Episcopal, so this is different church government models. There's the Episcopal, autocratic, um, usually this, this like the Church of England and some others. Um, and that's where a religious leader claims leadership of a worldwide church organization. Um, beneath are various layers of hierarchical leadership. Under that, it's even either more layers, and then the local congregation having little voice, um, if any, in matters. And so examples of this kind of church government would be Roman Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Anglican, Methodist, um, and modern cars. And so, like in the Roman church, the pope is the head of the entire church. In the LDS, the church, the prophet president is. Members are told what to believe and how they are to act with complete obedience required. Methodist, the church has a um, general conference, its legislative branch, a council of bishops, somewhat like an executive branch, and a nine member judicial council, the judicial branch. So sometimes the churches err in trying to mirror too much of the way their government functions instead of, okay, what is the New Testament church supposed to act like? Okay, again, so like the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church. You got the um, Pope, Bishop of Rome, the Cardinals, 193 worldwide, unless that's changed. Um, Archbishops serve other several dioceses. Bishops preside over one diocese, many parishes. And priests service one parish, and deacons at the um, aid of the priests for mass, and the laity they would call the people. And so we reject this form of church government because it denies the definition of the New Testament church as a local assembly. Further, Jesus is the only head of the church. Okay? No pope is the head of our church. Even I, as the pastor of this church, am not the head of the church. I am a member of the body. I've been called to preach. The church voted upon me to serve as their pastor, which does involve leadership. Okay, the Bible talks about they have spoken the word. Okay, follow their rule. There's governing. There's leadership. There's ruling involved. Okay. But that was all voluntarily. The church called me to be their pastor. And really, okay, the Bible does talk about, okay, obey them that have rule over you. They have spoken you the word. But that's still going to be voluntarily on your behalf, um, whether you do or not. Or if whether the pastor's worthy of following um, or not.
And so nothing is forced. Uh, the fact that Jesus delivered the seven letters to the messengers of the churches show that it is Christ that is the head of each church and that he is in the midst of the churches in Revelation 1.13, which implies that he does not need an earthly substitute. He does not need a victor of Christ, um, the Pope of Rome, so to speak, to speak on his behalf in that sense. Jesus is the head of the church, and yes, he has messengers, yes, he has preachers and pastors, but Jesus is the head of the church. And when a pastor is no longer following under the headship of Christ, it's the church's responsibility to get rid of that pastor if he's not following after Christ. You know what? Some people have the idea, oh, we never follow man. Okay, well, Christ said, or Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So Paul wasn't asking for a blind loyalty, a blind followership, but he does say, okay, in general, you know, if I'm following Christ, you know what? Follow after me in that cause. And then Peter also talks about how pastors are not to lord over, that, that it is God's heritage and we're not to lord over God's heritage. Yes, there's leadership. Yes, there's ruling involved, but not to lord over God's heritage. You do not need to come to me to ask me permission on what house to buy. Okay? Okay? That's between you and the Lord when you do that. Now, one can voluntarily want to seek counsel. Someone may go, hey, pastor, you know what? Here's a couple of my options. Um, do you think this would be wise or not? But again, that's voluntarily. That is not mandatory. LDS church, Mormon church. So this is how they kind of have, they have, they're divided up. They have the president, prophet, two counselors, then the quorum of 12 apostles, and in the 70s service, area presidents distributed around the world, the 70s quorum. Then they have stakes that are under the area president. Then they have wards that are under the stakes. And, and, and then that's where usually you, where you go to if, well, hopefully you are not going to, but if someone goes to an LDS church, they're going to the ward. And each ward has a bishop that in part heads over the congregation. So all kinds of different church government. Well, Presbyterian. Um, a Presbyterian rule, elder rule. Um, and, and this is that in the church session, there are two classes of elders are recognized. That there are teaching elders and that there are ruling elders. And then in this, there's a, uh, I'm blocking part of it, but okay, below, which is really on top, so the picture is kind of in reverse. But at the top, there's the general assembly, and then the, underneath that, there's either the synod, or some of them just go directly to the presbytery, where there would be some ruling elders and stuff there. And, and then there's the session, which would be there would have another teaching elder. And now this presbytery is not even in the context of a local church yet. It's in the context of several churches. And that they would have elders making decisions. Then in the local assembly, they would have a teaching elder and maybe different ruling elders. And, and then the session stands the presbytery composed of in a given district. So higher in authority than the presbytery is the synod, and the highest is the general assembly. And so this kind of church government is most often among Reformed churches, Presbyterian, and even actually assemblies of God church have a similar um, 
type. And now Baptists reject this form of government because it goes beyond the definition of local church. There are other assemblies, other synods involved. Um, it also teaches two classes of elders, where the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that the teaching elder is a ruling elder. And that says, um, okay, again, I quoted a verse earlier. Um, Obey them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. It's in Hebrews 17, um, um, or 13, Hebrews 13, 7 and 17, um, I believe it is. And so a teaching elder is a ruling elder. Um, in Acts 20, um, the, um, Paul gathers elders. Okay? Um, in the churches in Ephesus, there's an assembly of elders together. He's going to teach these elders, and he tells the elders to feed the flock of God. So there's the pastoral role. Okay? Their office, their elders, and he tells them to feed the flock of God, whom the Holy Ghost have made you overseers. Which that would be the leadership. That would be the overseeing aspect. And so the teaching elder is the ruling elder. Now a church can have more than one teaching ruling elder. Okay? Okay? As a church grows, there, um, there's sometimes the need. And that's what usually the pastor, the associate pastor, co-pastor, whatever titles we give them today, technically they're elders in the church. But there are scriptural qualifications of an elder too. And so that's where we want to be careful where we don't just put someone in a leadership role when they're not meeting or striving to meet the spiritual qualification. I had that verse next right there. Okay, that was talking about. Okay, remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. And now also you see, particularly you do see Jesus send people out two by two. You see, um, um, you see Barnabas and Paul going together. There's like a synergy that happens when there is another one involved. Now you usually generally see there's still someone that's leading. In the beginning of Paul's early ministry, we see Barnabas was kind of more the leader. That we see his name's mentioned first. He's kind of taking the leadership. But then there was over time, as Paul grew, Paul kind of took over that. And, and Paul was kind of being the leader when they were church planning. Then we see they separated and started other works. One of them had Timothy and one of them had um, John Mark. And so there's a special synergy um, when there is other people involved and helping. Now, you know, one gets discouraged. You know what? The other could help encourage the other. But you do still see throughout Scripture, you see, um, okay, we see early on that Peter um, is um, serving as a pastor in Jerusalem. We see that when you read through Acts, you see he's the main spokesperson. Now, all the apostles were elders in that church. So there was more than one. You know, you have 3,000 people being saved in one day, 5,000 being saved. Um, yes, not everyone would have maybe sticked there because some people were traveling. But that's a lot of people. And for one person to manage, it's usually not going to be very feasible. We see the principle even in the Old Testament with Moses. That Moses was overwhelmed with how many people they had. And so then his father-in-law, who wasn't even a believer, gave him good advice, gave him counsel. 
and that, that, you know what, under him, there would be other leaders. That some would be leaders over 50. Some would be leaders over 100. So the abilities were different. But then so people would go bring some small matters to the other men. And then if it was more troubling, they would bring it to Moses. So there was still a leading elder, so to speak. Um, but there was, there, there was an order um, to it. Often is the case in a lot of churches is the ruling elders are simply businessmen. They're good at their business, but they do not manifest the calling of God nor meet scriptural qualifications of an elder and pastor. Okay, now we've had in the past where someone was serving as an elder, but they were in church like five times the entire year. Okay, and there were some people who say, oh no, he needs to stay as an elder because he has wisdom. Okay, well, no, you know what? Someone maybe has wisdom here and there, but they were not functioning as the role of an elder. So just because someone's a businessman, um, or just because someone maybe has some prestige or whatever, it would, we would do harm by putting someone in the role of an elder when they can't fulfill that duty. And an elder is what? Again, not just a businessman, but they're people that are speaking, that are teaching the word of God. It's a calling, it's a, and, and there's qualifications. In a matter of church government, Baptists believe that each separate and individual church is independent of the authority of other churches. Persons and bodies of men, either civil or ecclesiastical, and that its affairs are to be administered by its own members under the authority of Christ. This is generally known as a congregational form of church polity. Um, in the book, The Baptists, Who Are They and What They Believe? That there is a local, as a congregation, we deal with our matters, our affairs. We hold that um, each church, this uh, is a Baptist statement of faith. This isn't um, in our statement of faith, so to speak, but it's a general of a law of Baptists. We hold that the local church has the absolute right of self-government, free from the interference of any hierarchy of individuals or organizations, and that the one and only superintendent is Christ through the Holy Spirit, that it is scriptural for true churches to cooperate with each other in contending for the faith and for the furtherance of the gospel, that every church is the sole and only judge of the measure and method of its cooperation on all matters of membership, of policy, of government, of discipline, of benevolence. The will of the local church is final. New Testament churches were assemblies upon salvation, baptism. Believers were added to Jerusalem. Paul wrote to local churches. Christ's letters to the seven churches in Asia verifies the New Testament church was local visible. Um, New Testament churches sometimes involved the voting of affirmation by church members. Um, we see in Acts 6, 1, 6, reveals that when the pastors fell overburdened, um, they asked for the church to choose out seven men. Um, to um, be basically fill the office of a deacon. And, and so the church, it wasn't a voting in the sense of um, a campaign of two or three parties. Okay? It wasn't like, okay, hey, this person's running against this person. But it was a general consensus. Okay, here are seven men that the church really filled. And now this church was in the thousands at this time. And so they, they had several elders, apostles, but needed, they needed deacons to assist in the material, the temporal needs of the church body. 
um, the widows um, in particular. Second Corinthians 8.19 says, And not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace, which is administered by us through the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. So here we see some individuals were chosen by the church to go and send them. Local churches were to receive members. We see in Romans 14.1. Um, we read in Romans 16 as well. Um, there were times to exclude members. Um, church discipline, 1 Corinthians 5. Um, sufficient to such a man as this punishment, which was inflicted of many. That was just a congregation, okay? This person was acting out of order. Um, you know, this one in particular involved a man involved in gross fornication, and the church could, had to deal with that. It's uncomfortable. You know, it's uncomfortable to deal and confront with things the church body. And that's why you hope you could deal with it on the individual level or at the two or three people. That's when most things get, in, um, get dealt with. But every once in a while, it has to be brought before the whole church. All members are equal regardless of education, wealth, or race. Um, the Bible says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, civilian, bond nor free, but Christ is all in all. Um, New Testament churches were sovereignty, so to speak, just in the sense of being self-governing. They were independent. The control of the affairs of the church were by the church itself, and let all things be done decently and in order. And while maintaining this autonomy... Churches participate in voluntarily cooperation with other churches in common projects. See an example there. People often ask this question. What about the Great Council in Jerusalem? Um, we don't have time to go there, but you, you read it sometime. Um, Acts chapter 15. Um, Acts 15, 5 to 30 in particular. Go ahead and write that down. Um, but some people say that they were a central headquarters, they were universal, they were a denominational concept of the church. But as you um, look at these, um, why was the matter being disputed in Antioch, sent to Jerusalem for resolution? What about local church autonomy? Why was it being sent back to another church? Okay, was it because they were the headquarters or what? Okay, the Council of Jerusalem was not a body of, um, of apostles and elders meeting in a permanent session, like the pres some Presbyterian synods would be, regarding universal church matters. It was a conference with a specific purpose regarding a matter of the local church in Antioch and had involvement in Jerusalem. This was during an apostolic era. We are to continue in the apostles' doctrine. And the church at Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem. Okay? So this local church in Antioch, they sent some leaders to Jerusalem. And the local church at Jerusalem, along with the apostles and other leaders, received them. They go, okay, let's hear, let's hear what's going on. So it was the Antioch church that initiated the conference not the Jerusalem church usurping authority over the church in Antioch. Okay? And so then the church in Antioch went to talk to the source 
by sending representatives to the church in Jerusalem regarding the controversy. There were some false teachings. Um, there were questions about circumcision, whether one had to be circumcised to be saved. James makes his response specifically to the local church that he pastored, and he told, said, trouble not them, okay? Okay, that we're not to be bringing trouble on this other church. The entire church in Jerusalem, the congregation of polity, along with the leadership of the apostles and elders, decided to select, to select men, that's just kind of repeating myself, but to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas regarding their conclusion. Okay, now this later on, they wanted to hear, okay, what was the conclusion of the matter, the dispute that was going on? The Jerusalem church responded, in verse 24, with an apologetic tone for the false teaching that spread from people of their congregation. So the Jerusalem church had people... Yeah, really, make sure, make sure you read this, okay? Read it. Um, in here, they, they had false teachers from within Jerusalem... People arose teaching false teachings, and it was causing problems at this other local assembly. And so the Jerusalem church was responding with an apologetic tone for the issue. The entire church at Antioch received the letter and rejoiced over the matter. And so there was local congregational involvement and action throughout the whole um, process. And so... That was involving two churches because the church at Jerusalem had people, not under Jerusalem's authorization, so to speak, but people in that assembly that came out and was teaching wrong doctrine. And then there were issues they kind of debated about. They, 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 they you know, do they have to follow Moses' law to be saved? Or is salvation only in Jesus? Or is it both? And so... That's why they went, they, the local church in Antioch sent representatives to the other church to figure things out. And then we see James, as the leader of the church, gave the sentence. Before, early on, we saw Peter is the leader. Here we see James is um, the leader in the church. And so it involved two churches because it involved two churches. It was not one church in authority over the other. Now, there would maybe be briefly times where that would be the case. If we were to start another church, we would kind of be in authority over that church till it was able to be self-sufficient and self-governing. Applications of this distinction. I'm not even halfway done, so we're just going to close it um, after I give this part out. And the second half, it wouldn't make sense to start up just at the set another time either so we'll just save that for maybe another time maybe in sunday maybe we'll do it in sunday school um yeah we'll do that in sunday we'll do the second part of this in sunday school next week it deals more with the history part but we'll close here get applications of this distinction is um, of local church polity local church autonomy is it gives authorization to the work of the ministry, we can know that our local church is a New Testament scriptural church and that Christ is the head. It gives doctrinal clarification. Understanding the proper definition and role of the church eliminates ecclesiology interpretation errors such as that of the church is simply spiritual Israel or that the church is the kingdom of God. 
And that do, in a sense, we have the kingdom of God abiding with us, born-again believers. Yes, we cannot see the kingdom of God except we be born again. Um, is there a verse that one time taught, calls the church Israel? Yes, kind of talking about how we are the chosen of God. But the church does not replace Israel in a permanent sense. Okay, we do see in part the church does in a sense where um, Jesus said that um, the kingdom is going to be taken away from you and given to a nation that will bear fruit. And so we see now that the church is the one preaching the gospel to be, bring jealousy to Israel. But reading the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, we see God still has a plan for national Israel and that um, the national Israel um, will, it's already became a nation again, but it will be under the direct headship of Jesus Christ um, coming up in the future. It gives direction and commission to the ministry of the local church. After the resurrection of Christ, all Christian service was done in some way through local churches. And so it wasn't through parachurch organizations. And now there's a lot of good parachurch organizations, okay? Some help produce um, Bible curriculum. Okay, Answers in Genesis, okay? That would be a sample of a parachurch organization. Are they uh, the church no. Now, do they consist of the church as far as the body of believers? Yes. But that is an organization, nonprofit organization for a particular cause. Um, there's other ones. Um, okay, Brooks involved in one, okay, and Jews for Jesus. That's the passionate believers from all over, okay, that get involved and they, they care about evangelizing the Jews. Okay, that's, that's a great ministry. And so, okay, there's, there's different things. But we see that what Jesus established that has his promise of divine um, um, fulfillment is that the local church is to be leading, uh, or is to be, is the ministry that God has promised the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, sometimes parish church organizations get started because the local church isn't really doing their job. We're not doing a good enough job reaching people, evangelizing. And so some believers, often the cream of the crop of several local congregations that have a passion for soul winning, get together and try to lead people to Christ. That's a great thing. That's a wonderful thing. But we as the local church ought to be doing that ourselves. Okay? It shouldn't be up to other organizations to reach the world for Christ, but we as the local assembly. And now they are still, they're different Christians, they're part of the body of Christ in the, in, the, in the kingdom of heaven, so to speak. So they're still doing the work. They're still giving the commission and stuff. But we as a local church can't neglect our duty because of parachurch organizations seem to be already doing it. Gives motivation for ministry. The local church was given the great commission. That makes local churches, their members, accountable to spread and preach the gospel around the world. It gives purification to the ministry. That Christ wants his church presented a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Okay, so now we're not part of a liberal denomination. So all we have to worry about is ourselves, okay, as far as keeping ourselves pure. I don't mean we don't only worry about ourselves. We're supposed to be caring about the lost, reaching people. But as far as the politics, the government, we don't have to deal with any kind of outside hierarchy. We deal with it within. We don't have to compromise along with a de denomination when it progresses liberal or changes its doctrine. 
um, nor do we have to go through a painful process of separating. Okay, we're already not part of a denomination. And so understanding this, it's a reference expressed in the local church causes pastors, deacons, and members to be careful that biblical doctrine is upheld, the ordinances are practiced properly, and holiness is strived for. We as the local church are accountable to Christ. What we'll do what we'll deal with in Sunday school next week is the perpetuity of the church. Now, you know what Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so that all throughout the New Testament era, okay, since Christ has came, there has been biblical-based churches. Okay? It wasn't like, okay, 300 years later, the start of the Catholic Church, or 1,500 years later, the start of the Protestant Reformation. All throughout the period, Jesus has had biblical churches. Okay? And we'll talk about that in Sunday school next week. So if you want part two, you got to come early. Come to the Sunday school hour. Come to the 10 o'clock hour. It just won't really make sense just bringing it in for the regular service. It will to you guys. But say if we have other people here, um, I want next week for the regular service to get back to just preaching through John. And so um, God bless you. Um, shake hands. Fellowship. Be friendly. If you have any questions, feel free to ask me in the foyer. If anybody's able to stick around, help us get clean up for the pastor's fellowship meeting. It'd be nice to just get it done today where we don't have to worry about too much tomorrow.